Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness, the ultimate destination to explore the integral connection between kinky wellness and your personal development. I'm your host and kinky wellness coach, Dana Shergill, and each Monday, I bring on a special guest to dive into specific aspects of kinky wellness. From unconventional practices to thought-provoking conversations, I'm here to break down barriers and redefine the boundaries of wellness and pleasure. Don't forget to join me for my solo shows on Wednesdays, where I explore even further into the multifaceted layers of kinky wellness. So let's strip away the shame and taboo together and have an open conversation about it. Hey, welcome back. And thank you for waiting for this episode. It seems that it never uploaded on Monday, so I'm sorry about that. But alas, we are re-uploading it today. So let's welcome Dr. Sajad Vahidi to the show. Dr. Sajad will be talking about how our childhood affects our adulthood and it affects the likelihood of ending up in certain life traps. So Dr. Sajad will be telling us what we can do about that. But also he is generously giving away three special gifts. So make sure you're paying attention all the way to the end. But let's welcome Dr. Sajad and jump right into it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sajad. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show today because we're talking about toxic relationship cycles, which I think a lot of us can identify with. But I want to start with a little bit about you and kind of what you do and how you got into this. So I'm Sajad Vahidi and I'm a, a relationship coach. Mainly my focus is helping my clients to break toxic cycles, toxic patterns, and we're going to get into like details of what does it mean and helping those, helping my client to break those toxic cycles, the thing that they've been repeating over and over again for years and maybe decades. And uh, me personally, I I was in a relationship uh, right now, it's going to be, I believe, like six, seven years ago. And I ended the relationship. And then later on, I knew that deep down, it was the right decision to uh, make. It, was, it wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to my partner. And logically and analytically, I understood that's the right decision to make. But emotionally, I couldn't come to term with it. I couldn't reconcile with it. I couldn't move on from it emotionally. And before that, I would have thought that I know myself. Any problem that I have, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to write down pros and cons. I'm going to understand what it is exactly and then find a solution and move on and implement that. And this time it looked like it didn't work. And I was talking to families, friends, and anything that they would tell me, I would just thought about it and it didn't help. And and then it just started me thinking about the questioning that I thought I know myself. I knew myself. Apparently, I don't because if I knew myself, like I could understand what's going on, I was able, I would be able to solve my problem and move on. And then I started talking to a therapist, and she said that, "Why do you want to talk to me?" And I said, "Like I want to know myself more." And uh, the triggering part was from the that breakup, but the at the time, uh, my main question was just to just to know myself more and better in deeper level. And that was the beginning of the journey. And then I got to know myself a lot better than I used to. And apparently I didn't know myself. So I was in a way right at that time that I don't know myself enough and mostly emotional aspects of my myself. 
And through that, I went through the like, personal transformation and it was wonderful. It was painful. It was difficult, challenging at times. And then through that process, also, I realized that what I'm passionate about, what I'm, uh, it's, was, what is my calling? And I want to help other people, other folks that they're going through the same difficult times, the same challenges. And I want to help them to understand those patterns, the problem, and at a deeper level and be able to break, resolve their uh, relationship troubles if they have toxic patterns and uh, toxic cycles to break them and understand them, identify them. And at the end of the day, it is as, as, as far as I can summarize is that you get to know yourself better and you become your authentic self. That's what it comes, to, comes down to. Of course, you're going to start with different problems. One comes with the breakup problem. One comes with, oh, I, I'm always fighting with my partner, with my husband, my and all of that. But at the end of the day, when you heal, you become your authentic self. And that's basically the goal of it. But you will get to that point once you do that journey. Before that, if someone said, like, you, you, do you want to become your authentic self? I am my authentic self. And so you have to go through that journey to understand what it is. Well, I appreciate you saying that the growth of healing is painful because I do think that people need to be aware of that. Healing is not something where you're going to be smiling the whole time. This is something where you have to look at those pains and you have to see those things inside of you. And it hurts, you know, sometimes a lot. It does. Absolutely. So with toxic relationship cycles, now, what are the different types? Now, I know that there's habits that people fall into, but in retrospect of relationships, what are some of the most common ones that tend to come up? Yeah, like it's like one thing that you said, like habits, like in psychology, usually basically uh, psychology doesn't believe that people have habits. It is the patterns, it is the behavior of a pattern that people repeat, not, uh, not out of habit, meaning that it's not just doesn't have any uh, reason, doesn't have any, uh, how should I say, um, purpose behind it. It might be unconscious, but there's a purpose behind it. So it's not just like very innocent, uh, like a habit. It's rather something that we develop and uh, early in life, and then we keep repeating those. And in the surface, it looks like just it's just how he is. But at the end of the day, but like if you look deeper, there is a purpose behind it. There's a reason behind it. There's something that the person wants to get out of that behavior. That's why he or she is repeating it. And some of the common ones that I would say, for example, that um, people have, we call it like it's very well known, like abandonment issue, meaning that you believe that everyone that you love everyone who is important to you at the end of the day they're going to leave you you're going to be alone you're going to be you are alone in the world even if that you have the if you have a very close family if you are like you have your you're married you have your children you deep down feel alone you feel and you're always scared that somebody is going to leave you that the, the person who is closer to you is going to leave you and any signs of that disconnection or that you feel that they don't like you anymore, they don't love you anymore, they don't uh, pay attention to you as much as they used to, you will take those to the extremest and the most negative interpretation and 
as a sign of they're going to leave you. And the reason for that is that you, as a child, have had that painful experience. It doesn't have to be a very traumatic experience of that you lost your parents in a very traumatic event. Rather, it can be as simple as that your mom, your dad was someone who wasn't available emotionally and whenever you needed them. So they didn't give you the sense of safety and security that whenever you need them, they're going to be there. Either they were like, they were just emotionally cold. They were very serious people. They were ill, so they couldn't be physically there or one of them passed away or they got divorced. So as a child, you interpret that my mom, if like your, your, uh, your mom passed away when you were little, you would, the, the child would interpret that, that my mom left me. She or he cannot understand that she just died, mm-hmm. right? She cannot understand, the child cannot interpret, cannot understand, cannot a- analyze that. The way that she would interpret is that my mom left me. I loved her. She loved me, but she left me. Mm. So how can I trust anyone else, any stranger that who won't leave me? So that's why they, the, 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 that traumatic event that she interpreted that my mom left me, anyone who will, who loves me, I love them, they will leave me. So when they get into a relationship, if their husband, their partner doesn't respond, their phone call, their text messages for a few hours, within one hour, they will take as a sign of they're leaving me. They don't love me anymore. And they get stressed, anxious, the same way that they felt as a child. So this is one of those toxic, toxic in a, in a sense that as a child, for example, you as a child, if mom, that happened to you and your mom, let's say they got divorced, your mom passed away. So what the way that you coped with, you clinged to your dad, you mm-hmm. cling to your siblings because you want to keep them as close as possible to you. So they won't leave you the same way that your mom did. And as a child, that was healthy. That was what you had to do to survive that situation, that painful situation. And it becomes toxic when you repeat the same clinging behavior with your partner, that you cannot leave them. You cannot leave them outside your side. You cannot tolerate them going to a trip or hanging out with their friends alone without you because you see it as a sign of they want to leave you. They don't love you anymore. The same way that your mom, you interview, understood that way, that your mom didn't love you. That's why she left you. Wow. And this is one of them. Then it becomes toxic because it's going to ruin. It's very dysfunctional. It's going to ruin your relationship. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people can relate to this because I do like that it doesn't have to be a very large traumatic that you mentioned this because we have identified this, you know, oh, something big in our lives have to happen for us to feel these type of ways. But in the reality, children, like what you said, we don't know how to analyze those. <laughs> these are just emotions that we feel. And it sounds like a lot of self-sabotage um, mm-hmm. when people act out in these toxic relationship cycles. And I think that's what it is. We're just sabotaging ourselves when we don't identify it Mm -hmm. and then like it it becomes very important as you said like very important to be empathic toward yourself meaning that when you catch yourself doing those things don't be punitive if punitiveness is one of the other toxic patterns that we repeat is that if i had parents who were very critical very punishing 
I couldn't make any mistake or I would be punished or would be rejected, I would be put down, then I will internalize that voice of my critical parents that I'm not allowed to make any mistakes. If I'm if I make any mistakes, I am uh, I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be rejected. I deserve to be put down. So whenever you catch yourself repeating any of these patterns, be empathic and caring, loving to yourself in a way that you would be toward the little child, like five-year-old girl or boy. If they make a mistake, you would just lash out at them or they would, you would punish them? No, you wouldn't. You would be very caring. You would be very loving toward them, right? The same way you should be loving and caring toward yourself. Just acknowledge it, understand that you're repeating it and see the first step is that just acknowledge it, right? And be empathic. If you don't, if you punish yourself, if you kind of put down yourself for any mistake that you do any time that you catch yourself, it will make the situation worse because you don't allow yourself. You allow yourself, meaning that that little child within you, you don't allow that little child to speak up, to tell you why she or he is so scared of when your partner doesn't respond to you. It's not you, like 30-year-old, 40 year old person who is scared. It's that little girl who is scared. So you have to understand it. You have to listen to her. And she will tell you, if you listen to her, she will tell you what's wrong. She will tell you why she's so scared. And then after, you have a way, you have a chance to heal and to understand and to fix it. Otherwise, by just being punishing, by being very critical, you're not going to help it because that will block the child will be more, even more scared to speak to you, to tell you what's wrong. Yes. And I think it's finding the time. It's making the time, not necessarily finding the time. It's making the time to acknowledge that there are, there is someone in us that is that inner child and you have to sit down with it because we do. I think a lot of us have developed some sort of quote, toxic relationship cycle somewhere on some level because no one is grown up to be perfect. We have all had experiences where it's hurt our inner child. And so it's just identifying which ones they are, because if you think that you don't have any, I think that also might be a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it, that's a great point, actually. Like it is. So that's, let me tell you why do we have those things? Like it is basically we as human beings, as human babies, we are so attached deeply and strongly attached to our parents, especially to our mom, because we were in their uh, fetus for like we were there, there like kind of bellies for nine months right and then after she fed us right mm -hmm. depending on different cultures like some cultures like a couple of months or a couple of years they feed the mom feeds the baby that's like in a closer like she keeps the baby close to her to herself and she feeds the baby and they have this all this attachment of like kind of touching each other hugging kissing and all of that it doesn't it creates this strong attachment and the reason we we need that is that the human babies are born premature like wildebeest baby like when they when they're born after a few minutes they can just run start running i did not they know can, that wow yes they, they can start running because they have to survive otherwise the lion is going to eat you right <laughs> yeah. you don't have the chance to be there for two years and depending on your mom because like the, the net, the, the, the lions and all those like wolves, they're going to smell the weakness. They're going to catch and they would, they would go extinct if they wouldn't be able to do that. But for human babies, 
because we can hug, we can like kind of climb the trees. We have it. We have a chance if our moms and parents can provide that protection. We can survive, and we we are born premature because we have bigger brain. Otherwise, mom wouldn't be able to give the birth to the baby. So we are born premature, and then we keep growing after the birth, and still our brain is still growing. And because of that, we need that strong attachment to keep us safe, to keep us alive. Like literally to keep us alive. And so any anything that frustrates or threatens that attachment of between the baby and the mom, that's what's called trauma. And if it happens consistently, that is what's called trauma. Is that if mom is emotionally cold, emotionally not available, the child for the child is detachment from mm. the mom. It means that she that the baby is threatened baby is in a threat that because mom is not there emotionally but the, for the baby's mom is not there doesn't matter if it's not emotionally if it's physically mom is not there so i will i will be eaten by a lion so that causes distress to the child that becomes if it happens over and over again that becomes trauma and because of this because we are human because our mom or parents did this at some point you're gonna do this if you're a parent you're gonna do this to your child that you're going to cause emotional distress to your child. Don't feel bad about it. Of course, you're going to try to do your best. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to raise, you become a perfect parent. And if you want to become a perfect parent, that's actually, it's, it's one of the unhealthy patterns because you expect yourself to be become superhuman, right? Mm -hmm. So because of that, every single human in the world, they have some sort of trauma. From one person to another, it can be the, the, the number of the trauma that they've experienced or the, the, the severity of the trauma that they've experienced varies from person to person. But we, have, we all have experienced that, meaning that we have experienced trauma. And because of that, we have developed some patterns to survive those traumatic events, meaning that if I was scared all the time that my mom is not available, I had to develop some patterns, some behavioral patterns to survive that uh, situation. Some babies become in a way, quote unquote, self-sufficient. Have you seen those babies that they always like suck on their thumbs or they like kind of like they hug something all the time? That is basically self-soothing behavior because they didn't have their mom available. They, the only thing that they find is that they try to self-soothe themselves. And when they grow up, they repeat the same thing. For the child who developed these patterns of clinging to another caregiver, dad, siblings, they're going to cling to another, to their partner, so they don't lose their partner. For the person who be decided to become self-sufficient, when they grow up, they avoid romantic relationship because they don't want to suffer. They don't want to go through the same pain as their, the most important relationship that they had with their, with their mom, with their dad. So for them is that that the whole intimate relation was painful. And as a baby, they decided unconsciously, I'm going to be self-sufficient because I cannot rely on anyone else. So they won't rely. They won't get closer to anyone. They won't become intimate with anyone because that's painful experience for them. Mm, absolutely. And as you're mentioning, like the closeness between a mother and the child, I think back to all... You know, a couple of generations ago when we had the cry it out method that was 
pushed um, of just leaving babies to cry. And I just feel that you really, if you were raised in a household like that, really take a look at yourself. Cause I do believe that causes like nervous system damage. Like you, we aren't supposed to be left out to cry like that. And this would make you have certainly definitely some toxic relationship cycle patterns that you would have developed just by being in that cried out method, I guess. Yeah. Like I'm going to give you an example like this during the Soviet Union that uh, also it, it was done under the uh, Germany Nazi that they have these, they had these institution that they would take the child away from their parents and then raise them there. So they wanted to keep them basically raised under the government approved method to become the perfect or best babies, right? Good children. They were raising the next generation. Those babies had even way better uh, medical nutrition, uh, medical services, support, uh, the cleanness and hygiene, anything. It was way better than average family in the, in the country. But their death rate was way higher. The death rate of babies were, was way higher than a normal baby. And what they were missing, they were missing the touch of their mom. They're like hugging their mom because the, the nurses that were working there, they could just feed them and they would take care of them, clean them. And that would be all. They didn't have time or they didn't have the incentive because they, they were not their mom. They were not their parents. Mm. So because of that, the touching thing is like, and we may think that it's, oh, it's cute. It's like, enough. it's cute between mom and babies, but it's crucial for even their survival because we feel we connect through touch, through uh, eye contact through smell through uh, sounds of mom and the baby and those babies were missing that part and because of that they did literally it is like it's not even like just uh, something nice to have something cute to have but it's something it's for their survival it's crucial for the baby's survival to have their mom to touch them to touch their skin to hug them to kiss them wow that's incredible mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. And so what we touched on abandonment and we touched on parents being too critical. And what would be some other ones that would focus on our childhood that could come out? So another um, patterns or toxic pattern, like uh, in schema therapy, it is called a schema or life patterns or life traps. Traps is basically something that when you're in it, you have no way out of it, right? And the reason it is a life trap that you develop as a child and it's so emotionally ingrained in you. That's why you have a hard time to letting go, to changing it. Because that's the only way that you understand the world and you respond to the world and to threaten the world. And another one is mistrust or abuse. That if you were raised in a family that you couldn't trust your parents, your most close, like your sibling, closer people, your very relatives, or your closest friends and classmates, that they were they abused you emotionally, physically, sexually, or ridiculed you. They didn't give you the sense of trust. And trust, basically, when you have this trust issue, means that that whatever you show me in the surface, whatever the behavior that you show me, there's something behind it. You're not showing the truth, your truth to me. And if I have experienced that as a child over and over again. My mom told me, promised me something, and she did completely different thing. So she basically betrayed my trust 
And if my mom, my dad, and the, again, these can be very extreme cases of sexual and physical abuse. It can be as simple as that they don't keep their promises. And if this happens over and over again, or they lie all the time, or uh, they say that, for example, this is another thing that parents in charge like children that they connect and at an unconscious level. Imagine that your mom is angry at you because you broke a glass, right? And she she's very angry at you. And then she comes and hugs you and says, I, I love you and don't worry about it. But she is tense. She is physically tense. And deep down, because she's angry, she doesn't want to show it. The child will see, understand this at the unconscious level, this disconnection. This, she says that, she tells me that I love you. At the same time, she's very tense that I can feel her. I can feel her from the, the way that she's hugging me, the way that she's touching me. And those are basically two contradictory messages that the parents send to the child. Those are basically, and the child becomes confused. Like, does she love me or does, is she angry at me? What is it? How can I trust her? Which one is right? And if those things happen over and over again, the child develops this mistrust, meaning that I cannot trust my mom. I cannot trust my dad. I cannot trust the most important people in, the, in my life. Therefore, I cannot trust the world. The, the world is untrustworthy, the place. I cannot trust anyone. The, the person becomes cynical. Hmm. And that is basically another uh, schema. It's called like mis, uh, mistrust and abuse that people usually develop. And it's one of the, uh, the most difficult patterns to break because it's when you, um, when you have this trust issue is that the way that you develop the coping mechanism that you develop to survive there is that, for example, you become someone who doesn't trust anyone. And the reason that you, that you do that is that you want to protect yourself, right? So unless you have a good reason, unless you understand why you develop this view of the world, there's no way that you will let go of this belief because you're scared that people are going to take advantage of they're going to abuse you. That's why you, it is very difficult. So the person has to go there, has to understand that this is, I developed this pattern because of my childhood experience. Even though my mom lied to me, my dad lied to me, or they abused me physically, emotionally, sexually, this doesn't mean that everyone, everyone, everyone in the world is going to be abusive. I cannot trust them. I am a grown-up person. I am an adult. I have this ability to understand people or even if people I didn't like I made a mistake and they uh, betrayed my trust I have the skills and ability to protect myself I'm not as vulnerable as a five-year-old child so this is the change in the view and uh and at an emotional level and then people can people will be able to break those cycles. They have to go into that at a deeper level, at an emotional level to understand where the problem is coming from. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, it just reaffirms that how we view our parents and our closest caregivers, we tend to take that viewpoint and just blast it out to everybody else, regardless of if it's mistrust or abandonment, whatever it was, we're, we just take that with us and we move forward with it. And that's the lens we view the world with. Mm -hmm. perfectly said is because you you we are we copycat like we copy whatever we learn as a child 
and then repeat that in other relationships that we have. And there's like, there's a saying that like the first love of every girl is her dad. First love of every boy is his mom. And this can be seen as a, in a very lovely way and like any cute way. But at the same time is that if a, child, a girl couldn't have good relationship with her dad, we call it like an, in a very negative way, daddy issues. But if the, child, the girl did, couldn't trust her dad or the dad, the, her dad couldn't provide the protection, nurturance, love that she needed. So, and she perceived her dad as a very cold person, very serious person, very someone who was very distant, right? So she will say that, okay, my dad is this person. My dad is a very cold person. All men are cold people. And then when she grows up, she sees every man that way. And what happens is that one of the coping way that she, uh, she copes with that is that she will be attracted to cold and emotionally unavailable men because that's, those men reminds her of her dad. And familiarity brings attraction. She sees those, even though it's painful, even though it's the most painful thing for her because she had a very painful experience as a child, she will be attracted to those men, cold men, because that's, those men remind her of uh, her dad. And she won't notice. She won't find loving and caring men as attractive because they're not familiar to her. They're, they're strange. Like if they become like, if they respect her, or if they put like and give her love that she desired deeply, like what's wrong with him? Like what does he want from me? Why is he acting weird? Mm. Weird means that he's acting in a loving way that was that is exactly the opposite of my dad acted. But if she start dating someone who is cold, who doesn't respond to her messages, who doesn't uh, respect her, so like even though she will try to pursue him, she will try to get her love, gain her his his love she will be attracted to him. She will find him attractive, even though that's painful process. She goes through painful process. Yes. And it's, it's crazy how we will, this is comes back to the unconscious. Like we aren't aware of it. And it's one of those Mm -hmm. things, like even there's a lot of divorce and out here in the West. And I do think that people need to acknowledge that it does have an impact. So even if you do have say parents that had a divorce and it was okay. And you know, it wasn't ugly in some way, it still does affect you on some level. Yeah. You, you, you basically, you perceive your, uh, even the trust, they say that like in general, these patterns that we've developed them uh, from the, most of them from the time of like kind of when we are like we are like one year old through like three five year old we develop all of these patterns mistrust or abandonment is one of those things that we develop very early on very early on even before when we were one year old oh wow and yes and the basically trust is that like kind of the child when the mom when mom hugs and takes care of the baby throughout like kind of her the baby's first year, first year of her, his, his or her life, she, the mom gives him or her the sense of whether the baby can trust mom or not. She cries, she's in pain, she's hungry, she's cold, and she will cry. She will ask for help. 
And if mom is there genuinely in a loving way, she will, the baby will believe that I can't trust my mom. My mom is there whenever I need her in a genuine way. She doesn't give me mixed messages, mixed signals that she, she loves me or she doesn't love me. And so we develop, uh, we develop those like very early in life. And not only that we form our uh, view of the world and relationship based on our relationship to our parents, but also we look at our parents closely because that's the first and the most important romantic relationship that we have in front of us. Mm. If our parents are very loving, caring, they respect each other, of course, every parents, every couple is going to have to fight. But uh, one of the things is that like, if parents fight in front of their, their, their kids, it's not, it's not what that like kind of can cause emotional damage or can be educating moment. Rather, it is how parents resolve that fight. If parents can resolve their fight, their argument in front of their kids, their babies, their kids, that, uh, okay, we fought on this, we had an argument about it, but we respected each other throughout the whole process. And we were able to come to terms. We were able to resolve. We were able to come to conclusion. And the child, the child will learn that, okay, you can have disagreement with someone and you can fight with them. You can argue with them, but, and you, but you can respect them and you can resolve it. On the other hand, if the child watches uh, his parents and they fight all the time and at the end of, at the, end of the fight, there's no conclusion. They didn't solve it. One of them went like and sleep on a couch. One of them sleep on a the bed. They're like, and now they're not talking for a week. And for that is like, apparently you cannot solve any disagreement. Either you have to shut down and not to disagree with anyone because that's going to call could cause a chaos. Or if you fight, there's no hope for it. You can, you cannot resolve any issues and you're going to copy that in when you grow up in your relationship. In like a similar case, as you mentioned, if they, like, you see your parents got divorced, depends on how the child interprets that. Depends on how the parents make that divorce look for, like, for their child. If it was ugly, if they, the child saw that the whole thing destroyed, of course, in any way, whatever you, the way that you try to explain to your child, it's going to have a ne negative effect in your child. But it can be, you can control the damage. You can reduce the severity of that emotional damage will cause in the child. Wow, a lot of this is, I feel like it's so relatable. Like there's so many things here where I think that there's a lot of people that come to mind where I just feel like it sounds so simple when you say it, but it's actually overlooked. Like we tend to overlook it as if, a lot of us don't realize how much our childhood impacts everything that we do, but it's actually the foundation of what we do. <laughs> Exactly. You're basically you form most of your characteristics or your belief system if it stays at the unconscious level by age of four, five, like seven at most. You form your personality, you form your view of the world and people and the relationships, and even God and the way that you see the world. You form those behavior, the belief as a child. Of course, later on, when you try to become conscious of those, you have a chance. Uh, to change them you have a chance to tweak them you have a chance to get rid of the thing that doesn't uh, is not valid anymore it's very dysfunctional and replace it with something healthy and like uh, functional 
But if you're not aware of it, which happens for most of us, that we don't go dig deeper, we don't go back question whatever that we've learned as a child, we unconsciously, we make it sound like very intellectual, we make it sound like as an adult, but if you dig deeper, you understand that you realize that whatever you learned as a child, based on your experience with your parents, watching them as a family, the environment that you grow up, that forms most of your belief, most of the way that you see the world, and of course, the way that you respond, because we, the reason that we have beliefs is that we want to see how we're going to respond and act in the world. And we, we act based on our beliefs. And if we have a, like a developed this set of belief system as a child and we are not changing it, we're going to act in the same way. We're going to change it a little bit to look as an adult, but the mindset comes from a child's mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, for someone who wanted to maybe take a step back and look at some of the things that they're doing, what advice would you give people to start with when looking back at any toxic relationship cycles that they might be doing to themselves? So when like my clients come to me, like and they can come from different, like and for different reasons. Again, as I said, like someone is uh, after breakup, someone is like going to get divorced, someone having trouble with their kids and children or their husband. And the most important, if you want to do it in your own, some part you can do it, right? Just pay attention to the current situation. You may want to, if something comes up that like, and you know that something in the past, some memories is bothering you, right? You can, of course, start there too. But usually people don't go back and say like, yeah, it was in the past. I forgot it. I don't think about it. That's what's usually like and to talk about but we all know that we have these troubles, we have these arguments, we have these challenges in our relationship, current life, either it's with our partner, with our parents, with our siblings, with our children, right? Just pay attention to those. And then write down, maybe that will help, right? Write down and see that what are the patterns that you're repeating? Is it that, for example, all the time that my husband doesn't answer my like my phone calls, my text messages, and then I get anxious. I keep calling him. I keep texting him. And after a while, he gets mad. And then we get into fight. And then when he comes home, we get into fight. And we just like kind of yell at each other. And then we don't talk for a couple of days. Or like and kind of this gets becomes so heated. One of us start crying. One of them breaks down. And the other one starts like an apologizing. And then we like kind of after that, we are very loving. We are very caring. And then we after a couple of weeks, we repeat the same thing right? If there's something that you're repeating over and over again, there are two things. One is that there's something deeper there that you have to look. Two, both of you, both people, if if there's something that two people in their relationship keep repeating, both those people have some benefits in those patterns. Ugly as it may seem, or like painful as it may seem that you're experiencing those patterns, both people have benefits. When I say benefit, it doesn't mean that people are uh, evil and then they decide consciously that I'm going to do this, I'm going to start this fight to get this gain. Rather, they do those things for unconscious gains. For example, the woman wants to know if her husband, her partner is still, is still loves him, loves her, right? This is, this, is, this is very valid. This is very healthy 
question and something that she wants to know. She wants to make sure that her husband want, loves her, right? This is one way, healthy way, is that she goes and very in a very honest and straight and very clear way that let's, let's discuss. I have these concerns or I feel that we are cold or we are not very intimate recently. Do you want to talk about it? I, I, I have this fear that you don't love me anymore. And I want to I want to share this with you. And then you get into discussion, you talk about it, and then either it is right and there's something that you need to fix it, either into your intimate relationship, your communication, your sex life, whatever it is, right? You talk about it and maybe there's something that you need to fix, right? Or it is just the fear that the, that your wife has and then like after a discussion, it clears out. This is a healthy way. If she doesn't pick this way, this route, then she will, she will, not she may, she will pick another way, find another way, which is dysfunctional, to get to this answer. What is another way? Whenever he doesn't, he responds her like a phone call is like a little bit late, she will get anxious. She will start like a become like stressed. And she will start to fight. What is the reason for fight? She doesn't take the, make this decision consciously. The reason that she's fighting, she starts arguments, is that she wants him in that argument tell her that, no, I love you. The reason that I didn't respond to you, I was busy, I was in a meeting, I couldn't do it, or whatever it was the reason, right? But I still love you. She won't get that, she won't get that answer from him because... The whole thing will go into the chaos, will go into the argument, right? For that reason, and then the reason that also man, the man in that case doesn't, uh, maybe, like, for example, in a, in, in, in a sense that instead of starting the argument with his wife, say that, like, kind of, yeah, I was there, and then in a calm way, what is it? What, why are you looking kind of so anxious? Why are you looking kind of acting like an in a strange way, weird way, you, I feel that you want to start a fight, right? Instead of acting and responding that way, her, her husband also acts in a different way, in a dysfunctional way. Instead of responding as she said, like, why are you crazy? You always are kind of like kind of uh, bug me or like something like that and get into a fight. The reason that both of them, they do it is that both want something deeper level that they are not able to ask it talk about it in a very honest, articulate way. Rather, they use all these manipulative, very um, uh, covert way of fighting to get what they want in their relationship. Yes. And I think that that it does cause a lot of dysfunction that is dysfunctional. And that's the problem here. I think a lot of it is when we don't go back and look at how we were raised and how it might affect us, we don't have those if we don't have the conversation with ourselves, we can't have the conversation with our partner and everything gets interpreted differently depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's basically, they say that like in any uh, discussion that a, part, a couple has, they're not two people talking. There are six people are talking in the communication, in the conversation. The, 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 both the couple, the two of them, the, uh, the girl, like in, in a couple, let's say like in a one, boy and girl and uh, girl parents are there and boys parents are there too even if they're not physically there they're all six of them they are involved in that conversation and what basically what it means is that like repeating like putting in different words of like what you exactly said is that 
because that man is so affected by his parents and because that woman is so affected by her parents, whenever they talk, whenever they interpret what the other person said, is affected the way that they were raised, is affected by their parents. So everyone is talking in that relationship, in, in the conversation. And when you become healthy, when you heal, what it means is that whenever you speak or whenever you interpret someone else, whatever they say, you can distinguish between, oh, this is not my own thought. This is what my mom taught me. This is my, what my dad taught me. Or this is the way, this was the way that my parents acted and responded. This is not me. I want to act differently. I want to say, uh, under, like, talk differently. I want to respond in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to loop back actually to a previous statement that we were talking about. We were talking about with a father and a daughter relationship and what typically happens there. Now, would you be able to explain a little bit further on what would happen in a mother-son situation if a son was not in contact? So it is It is kind of like when Freud explained this like in a uh, daddy issue, mom issue, he explained in much more detail like boy like in mom relationship rather than like in a dad and girl relationship. But in general, it's it's kind of very similar. That if if my mom was a cold person, or if my mom wasn't emotionally available, and I could, that was a threat, that was trauma that I experienced, right? I can respond in different way. Like for example, if I have this uh, abandon the, the trust issue, right? Trust issue that I couldn't trust my mom, I couldn't trust my parents. And let's say mostly comes from my mom's side, right? And I can overcompensate for it, for the trauma that I experienced, or I can surrender to it. Like, and I'm just going to pick two of the way that I would cope, right? If I surrender to it means that I accept that the world and my mom and the world are, is not trustworthy, I cannot trust anyone and I will be abused. I will be betrayed at the end of the day. Okay. If this is my belief system, when I grow up, I will be attracted to bad girls, the girls that they have trust, uh, they have uh, commitment issues, the girls that they uh, mingle and like kind of date multiple people at the same time, the girls that they don't have, they don't want to commit to one long-term relationship, okay? And if I have that trust issue that I also surrender to it, I will be attracted to those girls. I wouldn't be attracted to a girl that who can commit, who is committed person, who can be with one person at a time and who wants to have long-term relationship. Because I believe that I am attracted to that person, that type of girl, because she is similar in that sense that to my mom. She reminds me of her, my mom. And I find that girl harder, sexier than the girl who is, uh, who is committed, right? And at the end, when she cheats on me, when I see her, she dates and like going to be with other men, that will prove that, yeah, see, I was right. I cannot trust the world. Another way that I can cope with it, that I will act as if that world that I experience is wrong, is not correct. Meaning that I will act as if 
the world cannot abuse me. So what I do, I will, what, what I will do is that I will abuse. I won't let anyone to have a chance to betray me because I will betray them before they can betray me. So I will become a womanizer. I will date multiple women at the same time. I will leave them before they have a chance to leave me. Because I don't want to feel that pain and go to the same experience, the painful experience as, as I did as a child. In that story as a child, my mom, in a sense, like symbolically left me or betrayed me, right? When I grow up, I won't let any woman to betray me and I will betray them. Wow. The same yes. thing can happen for, for a girl that who has a trust issue. It seems like we just kind of mimic our parents like a little bit mm -hmm. here. Like we're just actively like, oh, you remind me. And I think that what you mentioned there is the familiarity is mm -hmm. attractive. And but just because it's familiar doesn't make it safe and it doesn't make it something that we should be actively seeking. And I do love that you said at some level that we've all have some sort of trauma. So it is very important to see. And this is going to help you overall, like not even in your committed, sorry, not even in your romantic relationships, but just your friendships, how you treat people at work. So this is something that is a skill that you can rework at and it will help you your whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like familiarity, like let me give you an example. Like if when you grow up in a certain culture or your mom used to like in a cook certain dishes, right? You grow up with that. When you grow up and then you will uh, search for the same taste, for the same smell of that food, the same food that you grew up with, right? And you, you, may, you, you will say that my mom was the best cook. Everybody's mom is the best cook <laughs> for them, right? It's yeah. not possible. Like there has to be, it's like theoretically, it has, there has to be one best cook, but everyone believes that their mom's the best cook. And the best cook means that it's familiar. When you go to a restaurant, you will look for the same taste, for the same smell, for the same texture. Even if it's the most greasiest, unhealthy food, you will love it because that's familiar. It may not be healthy for you, but it is familiar. It's tasty. In the same way, that you look for people, partner, who took you, who take you to the same and similar experiences as you had as a child. And the person who takes you, who triggers you, triggers your pain points, triggers the thing that had the most emotional impact in your childhood, you will find them sexiest, the harder, the most attractive person as, as, as your partner. And the person who doesn't trigger those, uh, your pain point, you won't find them attractive because they don't, um, they don't activate part of you that it, that's very important to you as emotional way. It's very interesting. Yes, I how it's worded like the you're attracted to people who trigger your pain points when you fall into this trap, and it's. It might sound unfair. It's just the reality of how we're programmed, I guess. But we do have to work on it because, yeah, I, I definitely I, I feel through even the work that I have done is that was a big point. I definitely was a cling on to people. And it was realizing that I am doing this to myself, not necessarily all these people that are doing it to me. It's me. And it takes a lot of accountability and self-realization to do this. And it, it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding. 
I had this client that she had the best, she would tell that she had the best sex after a fight. She, for her, the argument, like fighting with each other, like kind of trying, like kind of talking to each other, fighting, getting to this emotional uh, roller coaster, right? It was very familiar. And whoever ac activated this, this in her, and then after that, basically, she was aroused. She was aroused sexually, even because it was like with her romantic partner. She was aroused sexually. And then that made the best sex because she was in the best, quote unquote, best emotional state to have sex because she found her unconscious. Even though she was in pain, she was crying, but she found emotionally her partner the most attractive at the moment. Yes. And... It, it's the unconscious thing too. what you had just mentioned, even with her case, mm -hmm. everybody it's, we have to really acknowledge that there are parts of our brain that are working without us realizing it. And it generates everything we do. And it comes with self-awareness of really tying that back. And that's how you get control over your life moving forward. Yeah. Like if you, if you compare the conscious and unconscious to the, the, uh, iceberg right the, the the biggest part the biggest chunk is underwater that represents your unconscious the one the tip of the ice is just at the top is very small and that's our conscious level we we have this illusion that our like we are a very conscious animal we and we are as compared to other animals but our conscious is compared to our unconscious it's very tiny it's very small Yes, I completely agree with you. This was great. And we focused so much on just our childhood and making sure that you're aware that these things do impede how your relationships go. But is there anything else that you'd like to add about this just to make sure my listeners are aware? Uh, just one thing that pay attention, just become an observer. I'm going to use these like meditation like terminology, just observe, like observe yourself. Don't judge. Don't punish. Don't... Uh, Put down yourself, just observe your actions and behaviors and identify the thing that you repeat over and over again. Just the first step, acknowledge those. Be empathic towards yourself. You developed that pattern for a reason as a child. It may be dysfunctional right now, but you developed it for a reason as a child. So for that reason, be empathic towards yourself. Treat yourself as if you would you would treat a little boy, little girl, that like in a loving way, and a caring way. And they will you will show them what they do wrong, but what not with punishing, being empathic way, in loving way, and do the same to yourself. And sometimes you can once you understand once you understand your pattern, you may tweak, you may change, like your small behavior, and it may fix the problem. But if you, after you understand, you identify those things that um, you still keep repeating, you know what you're repeating. But at the time that it's so emotionally charged, you are still doing exactly the same that you used to do. In those cases, you need help. It's like you, you need someone to walk you through who knows what they're doing, who have helped themselves, who have helped other people to hold your hand and walk through that painful experience of, because you need to heal emotionally. You understand it intellectually, but you haven't healed emotionally. In those cases, it becomes difficult. It is possible. It may take years and decades. It is possible, but it will be a lot faster, quicker, 
to get the help from people that they know what they're doing and from an expert to walk you through through that healing journey. Yes. And I, I do love your point again about the we can identify what we're feeling and we can put it into words and we can make it sound all smart. But you're right. If we don't actually heal through it on the emotional level, that is really the block of which we give ourselves because that is where the toughest part comes in. Like it's easy to say, oh, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling this, but to actually feel it to get through it, that is a whole other ball game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, I learned recently this shaman culture and he was explaining this healing thing. It was very, it is very similar to emotional work that's like you do it in coaching or psychotherapy. And the guy was explaining that when uh, there was a trauma in, in the person's life, there was a dip of like an energy in at that moment of his life. And what the person does, like the shaman helps the person to go back in time and go back to that at the, the down level, at the deeper level, that when the person left the pieces of his energy at the moment and, and then bring it back, attach it to the person's to become whole, to become wholeness, to bring it back, bring back that lost pieces of energy. It, I, when I was listening to this, I was listening to this podcast and it is very similar to what you do in an emotional healing is that you go back that your darkest moment that form that forced you to form this toxic patterns, dysfunctional patterns, and then heal. And then that like kind of just like when you say like heal is one word, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of help. But that is exactly the same thing, the same concept. Well, that's definitely what I would say is similar to kinky wellness and how it can help people is really bringing you to a point where you're creating a situation that was traumatic, if that's the case of what you're doing, and rewriting it, like rewrite the script rewrite. and, you know, really complete that heavy emotion just to get it out, or it's just going to weigh on you forever. Like you can't, it, it won't magically disappear on its own, that type mm-hmm. of weight. So, yeah. yes, I, regardless of which form or method you take to get that out, that's definitely something that's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rewire it, rewrite it. Like people use different, basically different, like in a terminology, language. Everyone is trying to basically heal and help others in their own way, the way that they know and the way that they found like resonates with them. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the show. And where can my listeners find you? If you have anything coming up you'd like to share? So actually, like kind of the, I was thinking that like kind of what, how can I add to the like value of this, our episode is that uh, definitely when you listen to a podcast and like kind of these conversation, you get a lot of insights. And I hope that from our conversation, I loved our conversation. I hope that people like I got some insight and something that valuable. But at the end of the day, it becomes very difficult to apply it, to implement it in your specific circumstance and situation. And uh, and like, I'm actually like uh, closer to launch my new program, which is helping people who had recent breakup to get over, to move on from, from, their, uh, from their ex, from their last relationship. And this can be very difficult time to go through that and actually heal. Usually like kind of we distract ourselves with working, with alcohol, with going to gym, like seven times a day and all of those to distract ourselves. And what happens that when we not heal from it, it's going to come show up in our next relationship. It's going to haunt us. We may feel that, oh, we forgot them. Don't care about them. 
but you have to go through a healthy way to grieve, to grieve and mourn and move on from your uh, breakup. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to offer three free sessions for your audience. And it's going to be uh, first come serve. So you can go to my Instagram uh, page at drsajad, S-A-J-A-D, uh, V-A-H-E-D-I. So write this down, D-R-S-A-J-A-D, V-A-H-E-D-I. And uh, this is my uh, username. So you can go there and there's a link that you can book a call. Again, it's first come, first serve. It's going to be three for all of your audiences. And if there's no room to book it, I'm afraid that like all three uh, spots are taken. And I want to uh, sit there with you and, uh, and talk about your, like kind of whatever the uh, challenges that you're going through right now, the breakup and the pain that you're going through. And at the end of the session, if you feel that it is the right match that you, we want to, and I believe that I can help you, then we can work together. Otherwise, you can just get this, get this more clarity. You get a lot of like values and clarity in that, that one session. So to know that you, that those, your listeners I have used that I, I know where they're coming from, use this promo code KINKY in your, when the form, when you fill out the form. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. I'm sure my listeners are excited. I'm excited for them. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and being so generous with what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation and thank you for pro providing the platform and the environment that we, to have this wonderful conversation that I had. I just personally enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for my listeners, you guys know what to do. I will see you on Wednesday and as usual, stay kinky.